Father, that you would empower us to be your people. That, Lord, we would be a people who always have an answer to give for the hope that is in us. That we would be a people who walk worthy of your calling. That we would be a people who walk in our priesthood, O God, and serve you. Lord, we pray, O God, your anointing upon us. We pray for the filling of your Holy Spirit. We pray, O God, that you would glorify yourself through us. And Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us from falling short. Forgive us, Lord, of our doubt. Forgive us, Lord, for our disbelief. Forgive us, O God, in those areas that hinder, O God, your working through us. But Lord, keep your word. You have begun a good work in us. Keep your word and do, O God, that which pleases you in each and every one of our lives. We trust you, we love you, and we place ourselves completely into your hands. Mold us and shape us, Lord, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to go right back to this area of Building the family. Why? Because it's not easy. And I want you to recognize that. I don't care if you come from a broken family, a dysfunctional family, a hurting family. uh, You need to understand something. God wants to build you. God wants to build you. And God desperately wants to use you. And he will only use you as he has the privilege of molding and shaping you. you. You need to understand that principle. He's going to mold. He's going to shape. He's going to do the work. Oftentimes, we fail in understanding if we want something to shine or to look good, we got to make some sacrifices. we got to be willing to work at it. Boy, when, when, when I first got my little 56 Ford, boy, that thing had springs and the back set down and had a stick in the floor. Boy, you, I couldn't put enough wax on that thing, you know. And then when I moved up a little better to a 56 convertible, boy, Lane was impressed by it. See? And boy, we let that top down and boy, I'm talking about them chrome wheels with shine and so forth, you know, and that black boy, you could get at it and you could see yourself in it. It'd be fine. You got to do that with family. You got to cause your children to shine. But before you even cause your children to shine, you got to shine. You got to really be willing to work at it. Because it just doesn't happen because you have everything going against you. But every dream requires sacrifice. And one of the things Satan will try to keep you from doing is dreaming. Is thinking the best of what God has for you. And when you're not dreaming, you're just being tossed to and fro as a leaf out there being blown by the wind. Dreams help give us direction. Dreams help gives us hope. Dreams allow us to run after things. 
Dreams put something before us that we're saying, boy, it's worthy to go after it. Now understand, you're not going to accomplish every dream that you dream. But the dreams that God wants you to accomplish and God wants you to be involved in, God will bring it to pass. It's surprising sometimes the dreams I've had and I've found myself in certain places and I've said, boy, I've been here. No, I've been here by dream. But if you're going to dream, you've got to make up your mind on this. You're willing to make the sacrifices. You're willing to make the sacrifice. Sacrifice is simply this. Giving up something that's good for something that's going to be better. And sometimes God can't get it out of our hands, that good thing, in order to do something better with us. Because what we assume that I'm doing good for who I am. I'm doing good because I'm just a step above maybe my brothers or sisters. I'm doing good for what my past looked like. I'm doing good. But the thing about doing good, if you become satisfied with it, you won't do any better. And what you want to do is always have the desire of doing better. Doing better. Not just good, but doing better. Why? You are a child of the living God. And nothing with God really just stays the same. It keeps what? Growing and growing and growing. Sacrifice is giving up something good for something that is better. Now, Therefore, every predicament that comes around in your life, every problem, every crisis in life, God demands a new behavior. The new behavior is to develop the life of the believer. God, boy, just like a child. A child acted one way when they were what? Small. But as they get a little bit older, they act another way. As they keep aging, they, get, they keep doing what? Acting different with the age. The Christian does the same thing. God knows how much to give you when you are first born again. He'll never put more upon us than what we can bear. He gives us what we need to grow. But what he doesn't do... If I don't have teeth as a baby, he don't try to feed me some steak, pork chops. Give me that old jello man, soft stuff. See? But then I'm watching everybody else. My nose begins to alert to that chicken over there, you know. And, and, and then we begin to take that step of eating something a little bit different, experiencing something a little bit different. You know, before I even got a pork chop, I got a pork bone. Mama would give you that pork chop bone. And you talking about a juicy bone? You know. But when you got to the meat, there was something else too there. But it was step by step by step. 
And God does that in our lives. So when the problems come and the crisis come, God is looking for something different in our behavior with every situation. And he allows those trials and those situations to come in our life to, number one, to deepen our love with him. It deepens our love with him. It deepens our relationship with people around us. It, it, it deepens our knowledge of him. He allows it to allow what he says take place, to grow in the grace and knowledge of who? Of Jesus. If we didn't have these experiences sometimes, or these problems, or these crises, we wouldn't experience how good Jesus really is. We wouldn't experience how he can take us over them, or take us through them. We would not, we would not experience how he takes us through situations of life that we could not even begin to figure out. But he does it. It takes me into a deeper relationship with him. Just like with children. As children grow in the home and they have their problems and they bring them to the parents, it grows into a deeper relationship between the child and the parent. And helping with the problems and the difficulties of life. Helping to meet the needs. It causes a closer bond to take place. It also brings about more patience. How many of you understood when you were first saved, you were not a very patient person? It brings about patience. Because when somebody is growing and developing, it takes patience. When somebody new come on the job, it takes patience with them because they immediately just don't know the job. They don't know how things function in this department, in this place. Uh, it's going to take a little while for them to adjust from where they come from to where they are. And that's patience. Patience allow a person to make some faults and to fall down, but to get back up. That's patience. Patience allow that person to speak freely because they're going to learn. And they'll learn what not to say and when to say. They will learn. But patience is a great teacher if you have it. If you don't have patience, what you do with children and others around you, you shut them down. Especially if you're somebody in authority. And parents are people of authority. You can either allow your children to know how to express themselves in a very respectful way and you can learn from them and you can help teach them. But boy, if you're not patient, you're going to shut them down. You'll shut them down. And you want them to come. Thirdly, a desire to seek more understanding. It is strange today how we don't desire to understand one another. We don't want to really study one another or learn one another. We somehow very quickly make judgments from what we see from the outer person. Not understanding what the outer person may have gone through in life. That old saying that old folks used to say, you really don't know me until you walked a mile in where? In my shoes. 
Oh yeah, you see all the outer stuff about me. But you really don't understand me or how I think or how I process things or why I do the things that I do the way that I do them. And that's what understanding comes about. That you want to seek to understand that person for that you can understand why they act a certain way, why they perform a certain way, why they stand off, why they do this, why they speak this way. You want to study people. Jesus was an expert at that. He studied people. Yes, he already knew the heart of every man. But he took people and yet he studied them. If he would not have studied people, he would have not went with Matthew to, to eat at the tax collector's house with all those what? Sinners and wine bibbers. Now, although they are sinners and they're wine drinkers and they do this and they do that, what's behind all that? What's behind all that? What's causing that? When you see people doing wrong, you ought to ask, what's causing that? What's causing that? And then try to understand as they are talking. What's causing it? What causes a child in a place to all of a sudden, boy, have a temper tantrum? And usually because the child's not just getting what? What they want. But some parents would do two things. Pick the child up and just leave. Or they threaten the child. And what it shows is this. You haven't taught the child before you got into that place. You teach the child before they ever get there. My son, boy, down at Friendship Baptist Church, he started acting up a little bit. And I was up there preaching. I just kept on preaching because I had my mic on. I grabbed him. I just walked out in the hallway, kept on preaching. Boom, boom, boom. Brought him back in, kept on preaching. Set him back down, went back up in the pulpit. But he understood, and I understood him. (laughs) Seek understanding. For understanding will help you to be able to meet the need of the person in the time in which you find themselves in. The problems and so forth, the pressures of life, the difficulties of life. You want to have understanding and more of a deeper development in our own personal life. Understand something. When God allows you to go through crisis and, 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 and problems and stuff, It's not just the problem that he wants to deal with. He wants to deal with who? Here. He wants to deal here. One of the men, boy, boy, he said something, boy, and I said, God, you're working with him. Because one of the men in the group said, boy, that was a big step in getting married. He said, no, it's a bigger step staying married. (laughs) The whole problem sometimes is not the big thing accepting something, it's staying with it. It's staying with it. And in doing so, you're developing, God's developing you. 
God's developing us. It's so easy today to take off running. It's so easy to quit. Understand, problems come that God can develop you. And that's what he's after. You're his workmanship. You're his workmanship. He's redefining you. He's doing a special work in you. Building self-worth in the family is building self-worth in each person in the family. You want to work on everybody in your family. That includes yourself. And everyone in the family contributes to the family life. Everybody. Nobody in the family is ever really ignored. I don't care who they are, how they act. They bring something to the table of that family. They contribute to that family. And in the family, you're going to have the good, the bad, and the ugly. But it's all family. And we don't give up on family. We want to see family grow. We want to see family be successful. We want to dream for our children. We want to dream for our wives, for our husbands. We want to dream for them. And to challenge them. That they can overcome the things that sometimes feel so difficult for them. For those things that hold them back. We want to tell them, yeah, you can overcome that. You can overcome that. You know. Now, one of the things I advise you not to do, give them, don't give just one, two, three. Well, you do this, this, and that. You got it. Because if I do this, this, and that, and it don't work, let God be the one who gives the one, two, three. Let God give them the steps that are needed. And what you need to do is commit yourself. I'm going to pray for you. I know you can overcome that. You be the encourager. You fight a good fight. That's what Paul says. Fight a good fight. No, he didn't get step one, two, three. No. You hang in there. If God be for you, who can be against you? You want to encourage them. And then if they're acting out of what they should say they are, I'm a Christian, but I'm acting outside of that. Well, part of the problem in dealing with the problem is that you're not facing the problem as a Christian and behaving as a Christian and doing what a Christian needs to do to solve the problem. But when you start doing that, now God steps into it. But as long as you're going to do it your way, God lets you do it your way. But when you're ready to listen to God and behave as God would have you behave and to work at it the way God would have you work at it, God will lead you, God will guide you, God will speak to you in your con- God will speak to you through his word, God will order your steps in that situation. Understand this, God does not set us up to fall. He doesn't set us up for failure. He wants us to overcome. Because in overcoming, we build our character. In overcoming, we build the relationship with him. He doesn't set us up for failure. But nor does he just make it easy. That's why he says he'll be a present helper. 
because he knows some of the things that he's going to put you in, you're going to need a whole lot of help. And he says he'll be a present helper. And he'll be there to guide you. He'll be there to minister to you. He'll be there to encourage you. Now, how is all this done, though? How does God work through these things? That's amazing. We build a healthy self-worth by looking at our lives as God desires us to see our life. Now, our life. Our life. Sometimes I'm writing quicker than I can think. But God desires us to see our life from his eyes. From his eyes. He wants us to see it differently than what we see it. He wants us to experience it differently than what we experience it. And God wants to build a good self-worth in each and every one of us. Why? You have a choice. Your self-worth can come from your own thinking of how valuable you are. And he tells us don't measure ourselves by ourselves, but then that limits us to just that, of just measuring ourselves by ourselves. Then i got to come to this conclusion, well, I'm better than this person. But somehow in our thinking, we never pick people who are better than we are. We always pick people who are what? Lesser than we are. So we feel good about ourselves because I'm just a notch ahead of them. God wants to build self-worth in us because he loves us. And the self-worth comes from God himself valuing us. Mother Teresa. I am our let me get it right. Albanian by birth. But I am a citizen of India. I am also a Catholic nun. In my work, I belong to the whole world. Now catch this part. But in my heart, I belong to God. In my heart, I belong to Christ. Catch the end part? She knew to whom she what? Belonged. I belong to Christ. I belong to God. Who do you belong to? Because what you belong to is where you're going to derive your worth from. She makes this little statement also. God loves me. I'm not here just to fill a place, just to be a number. He has chosen me for a purpose. And she ends it with this little note. I know. I know. I know. Do you know that God has chosen you and you have a purpose? Do you know that God himself wants to do something very special with you? 
Do you understand that God placed value on you, worth on you, when he said, son, go die for them? He couldn't give anything greater than his son. And he sent his son to die for us. That's my worth. That's my value. That God values me. I'm somebody because of Christ. God is interested in what you want to be. He's interested in what he wants to do in you and through you. Most of our lives are busy working at what I want my life to be. And that's where oftentimes we fail and we make a lot of mistakes. Because I'm running after what? What I want to be rather than after what God wants me to be. Colossians 1.9. Slow up clock. Colossians 1.9. He's going to share something with us here in this verse. That I think we need to take to heart. And allow it to help us along the way. In 1.9 he says... For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying. Understand what Paul's saying. From the day I heard about you accepting Christ, the day I heard about you being born again, the day I heard about you becoming part of the family of God, I start praying for you. I start praying for you. I think Paul knew the struggle that they would have. I think Paul understood himself. Oh, Lord, every time I desire to do good, what's there? Evil's right there. Oh, Lord, as I really grow closer to you, I understand there's no good thing we're at in me. That Paul can look at himself and say, oh, wretched man that I am. Paul knew what these people somewhat were going to go through. And he knew that if they were really born again, there was going to be a transformation that took place in their life. Change in life is not always welcomed by the individual where the change is going to take place. Because change can be uncomfortable. Change is unfamiliar. Change can be fearful. Change means I can't act the way I want to act. Now I'm trying to force myself to be something else. And until you get comfortable in that new skin of the Holy Spirit, it's hard to function from out here. And you got that battle going on. You got that fight going on back and forth. And Paul says, I'm praying for you because I know you want to do it your way. 
But I know God has a plan for your life. I know that. Why? Because God had a plan for my life and started revealing it to me on the Damascus Road. (laughs) And my life changed drastically. My life changed. It wasn't my plan to become a Christian. My plan was to destroy the Christians. But God had a different plan. I'm Jewish. God had a plan to send me to the Gentile. No, I don't want to go to them dogs. I don't want to go to those little filthy folks. I don't want to go to them heathens. But God has a plan for Paul. And Paul says, I'm praying for you. Because Paul knows the struggle that they're going to have to face as they discover the will of God for their life. As they discover the will of God for their life, he knows the struggle they're going to go through. He knows how the enemy is going to attack them. And he says, boy, yes, for this reason, since the day we heard about you. Now understand, Paul only heard about them. He didn't see them. Him and I really taught these folks. But because they were in the body of Christ, he knows the struggle they're going to go through. And he says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Because you have a fight that you've never fought before. During this time, a transformation in your life. In this time of learning how to carry out the will of God and not your own will. I'm praying for you. That you'll surrender to the will of God. And not do it your way. I'm praying for you. For you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Now, he's praying that what? God would fill them with what? Knowledge of what? His will. Paul doesn't give them step one, two, or three. Now I got God's will. No, what he's saying to them, boy, I'm praying that God will give you knowledge of his will. Knowledge always all comes back to this learning. Learning what? Learning God's will. Becoming aware of God's will. Paul's praying for them. That they could know God's will for their life. And what purpose God have saved them. And he says, boy... Only God can give you that knowledge. And only God can reveal his will for your particular life. And what he would have you to do. And he says, I'm praying for you that God will give you the knowledge of his will. How many of you are asking, Lord, give me the knowledge of your will for my life. Give me the knowledge of your will for this moment, for this time in my life. God, give me knowledge of it. Because if you don't have knowledge of it, you're going to act totally wrong. You're going to act totally wrong. You need to know what God's plan is for your life. You need to know God's purpose for your life. Day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, what job you're on, what situation you're in, where you're traveling to. 
God, what's your purpose in bringing this person into my life? I was, in, I was on my bike up in Cleveland. And I had it parked, and then when the store came back out, another biker came. He parked alongside. He's an older gentleman. And we just started talking, and then I said, in my own mind, I said, Lord, what's the purpose of this gentleman being with me at this moment? And somehow we got off into his children. And he started telling me, now I'm, I'm a total stranger to him. But he started telling me how his son left his wife and now lived with this other woman. And they got married. And he didn't go to the wedding because she was Catholic and he's Jewish. So he wouldn't go to the wedding. They won't come to his house. He won't go to their house. And just tell me everything about it. And then tell me about his money. That his son ain't going to get none of his money, but he is going to make sure his grandchildren. (laughs) And all I can share with him, sir, you know, there's a person who's torn down that wall that divides us. You know. There's a person that wants you to understand. (laughs) You are to love your son. No matter what. You are to love him. May not like what he always do. But you love him. And I said. I don't want to impose upon you. But I'm a Christian. But Jesus Christ can deal with all these things. (laughs) And left it up to him at that point. (laughs) what he was going to do. But my question was, God, why did you bring him to park his bike right next to my bike? Why did you allow us to come out and and, and talk? God had a plan. God had a purpose. God had a reason. Sometime in my situations and so forth, I got to ask God, God, what's your purpose? What's your will right now? Why am I in this right now? And God will give you understanding of it. That you can know his will. But then it's for you to act upon it. And he says, boy, I'm praying for you. That you would have knowledge of his will. Now look what else Paul's doing. Through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Through spiritual wisdom... And understanding. The Lord tells us to go after understanding in Proverbs. Get understanding. And we need to practice doing that. Going after understanding. And allow ourselves to desire to know more. Go back to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs 2. My son, 
If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ears to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. People understand two things will always go together, wisdom and understanding. God will give you wisdom, and if he gives you wisdom, he's going to give you understanding and that you might be able to use wisdom properly. And he says, turn your ears to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, look how he puts the value here. If you will run after understanding, as you run after what? Money or silver or gold. He wants us to really want it, to really value it. And he says, search for it as for a hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Where does knowledge and understanding come from? God's mouth. Stay on that for a little bit. If God has a mouth, he's going to do what? How many of you got mouths and they don't know when to stop? God speaks, but when he speaks, he speaks to give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding. One lady used to say it like this. I don't want to waste my breath on a fool because I might need that breath to live on. And when God speaks, he's speaking to us wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Why? He knows we're living in a different skin now. And things sometimes for us are going to be strange and different. And what he asks of us sometimes is going to be fearful and frightening to us. That he gives us wisdom knowledge and understanding to walk with him and to trust him and to obey him. May not tell me everything, but he gives me enough of it. Then it's my choice to trust him and believe him and then do it because why? It's his will. God's knowledge and understanding is the beginning of growing in a good self-worth of yourself. Because in God's knowledge, in God's wisdom and understanding, guess who you're going to get to know? You're going to get to know you. 
you're going to really get to know you and your heart. Man. For the Lord already told us the heart is deceitfully wicked, and who can know it but who? But Him. And it takes God to open that up. It takes God to make the exchanges of your heart that your heart beats with His heart. It takes God to take the things that you think is a treasure to you that is only an earthly treasure out of your heart and put a heavenly treasure in. That's God at work now. That's God doing something special in your life. Why? Because you're worthy of it. Why are you worthy of it? Because he allowed his son to die for you and God will not leave you the same because of what his son did for you. And that's why we have that promise that he who has begun a good work in you, he will continue it. Not because of you, but because of the one who died for you. Self-image is what you want people to see outwardly of you. We want to posture a certain image and so forth. And that's what we usually want people to see us as. Self-worth, and if you go to Western Dictionary, image does have worth as the last word, but self-worth is something that takes place on the inside. It's your value system on the inside. It's your self-respect on the inside. It's your honor on the inside. It's your integrity on the inside. It's your loyalty and trustworthiness on the inside that God's working with. And that's what makes you worthy. And one of the movies that we just showed, Encouragement, or what was last week? Say it. I, I still can't hear it. Courageous. Courageous. <laughs> and um, in one of the scenes, this supervisor is looking for a person to handle the night supervision of stuff coming in. So during the interview, he asked the man, we got 18, but would you mark down 16? We got in this, but would you mark down that? He said, now you've passed everything else, but we just need to know, will you do that for us? He said, I'll let you have till tomorrow to give me your answer. But remember the job. Rest on that. And he went home, prayed about it and everything, and struggled with it. He needed the job. He needed the higher salary. He needed that. But his integrity for the Lord would not allow him to lie. To steal. To cheat. Come up with an excuse. Okay, my supervisor told me to do this, so I'll do it. That's what he wants. No. 
He said he could not lie. That was something more than the man himself. That was something God had worked in the man inwardly. And he was surprised when the man told him, you got the job. You got the job. Worth is value, merit, honor, the value God places on you. Go to 1 Peter 1.18. And then we're going to pick back up to next, next week. 1 Peter 1.18. Because, see, oftentimes we forget the value that God really does place on us. If you will understand this scripture right here, it will revolutionize how you see yourself. Because what God is sharing with you, in a sense, is what my son did for you, all the gold, silver, precious stones of the world could not have done that. You wouldn't have had enough silver. You wouldn't have enough gold. You wouldn't have enough money in Fort Knox. You wouldn't have enough. What he purchased on your behalf. The world does not contain enough money to purchase it. And if I'm that valuable to God, I'm somebody. I'm somebody. If I'm that valuable, more valuable than gold and silver and precious stones, And even in one sense, the blood of his son, that he will align to die for me, I'm valuable. I'm valuable. I'm worth something. I'm somebody in the sight of God. And he says in that 18th verse, he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, that you were purchased, that you were bought. When you go out and you spend your hard-earned money on something, you value it. What's the difference between sometimes we say a homeowner and a renter? The homeowner is putting his own money into something that is going one day hopefully going to be what? His. He even values it many times how, what the grass looks like. If this is clean, if this is working, or if that is working. He has a different value for that piece of property than if he is only renting the property. God bought me. I'm his. I'm valuable. And he sees me differently than he sees those who he have not yet purchased or have come into the redemptive work of God. He sees me differently. Just like you see your home because you have purchased it, you paid for it. It has value to you. Then if you're living in somebody else's home that you're just renting, if they want it fixed, they'll come fix it. If they want this, they'll do that. You know, we don't have the same value 
for that as we have for the home that is ours, that we're purchasing. And he says, You have not redeemed with silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life. What kind of life? An empty way of life. An empty way of life. Your life was nothing. Now, 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 just think with me for a moment. God says, you were empty. An empty way of life. Nothing. How many of you pay $100 for an empty nothing? How many of you would buy something and get nothing? How many of you, you go work all week and just bring your money and just purchase something, you go get it and then walk away and have nothing? But God knew what he was going to purchase and knew what he was going to build. He was going to build value into this life. He was going to build worthiness into this life. He was going to build this life that it would carry the very image of Jesus Christ. He says, empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb, without blemish or defect. Without blemish nor defect. And what he has us do is how to clothe ourselves that shows our worthiness and our respect even for him that we'll get into next week. Because you know what he clothes us with? Garments of white. But what we're going to try to understand is what does white really mean? What do those garments represent in a sense? For that we can still see our worthiness. Our worthiness. And the garments he gives us, we couldn't purchase them. But he dresses us in them because we are worthy of his very best. We are worthy of his very best. Not because so much of who we are, but for what Christ is doing in us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for ministering to us. Help us, Lord, as we even come to this table. To understand, Lord, that as we come to this table, that we're not really worthy to take of the elements of this table. But that, Lord, our Lord and Savior has asked us to do this in remembrance of him. And we want to do that, Lord. Remembering the one who died for us. To remember the one who took our sins upon himself. To remember the one who is yet to come back 
and claim us as his own. To remember the one who has gone to prepare a place for us. To remember the one who will present us without spot or wrinkle. To remember the one who will dress us in robes of white. To remember him. To remember him. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Let us not come to this table trying to hide any sin from you. But may we come, Lord, because we have confessed our sin even this very moment. And thank you, Lord, that in this very moment, the blood of Christ is able to wash us and cleanse us. That we might be able to come to this table and not defile it with our filth. And Lord, we pray that Lord, as we partake of this table, that we will remember, oh God, the one who gave his life for us. The one who is working in our lives at this very moment. The one who values us. The one who keeps us. The one who says that we are his earthly treasure. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. May we honor him at this time. May we glorify him at this time. May we value deeply the work that he has done on our behalf. May we thank him, Lord, for the inheritance that he has granted unto us. And we thank you, Lord, that he continues to intercede on our behalf and mediate for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus for loving me, for putting worth in me because of what you do and what you've done in my life. Thank you for allowing me to be of value and worth to the living God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them. And they all drunk from it. This is my blood of the covenant which